With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Nikki Lee, the editor of American Ninja Warrior Nation. The site's been around for the past three seasons of the show, and we're now heading into our fourth season. Over that time, I've had the opportunity to interview hundreds of the Ninja Warriors, and I've gotten to know the competitors and the crew pretty well. Recently, I sat down with Akbar Bajabiamila to discuss his new book titled Everyone Can Be a Ninja. The conversation took place after a long, cold night of taping in Oklahoma City. Akbar was candid, upfront, and very personal about where this book came from and why he was inspired to write it. So for this interview, I wanted to share the audio of our conversation with you. I hope you enjoy it. My fifth season in, I just started to kind of look at the ninjas and kind of see what they were doing and just how they've been inspired by other people <coughs> in their life. But then also, too, just um, them being able to come out and do these crazy circumstances. That started making me think about myself because it, the question started floating, like, oh, man, you should try, oh, yeah, I should try, whatever. Um, I said, man, like, we're more alike than we're not. Mm-hmm. And I started looking at our lives because from the outside, the optics looks like, oh, hey, I'm the host. I played in the NFL. But I'm like, I've got an incredible story of my own, and my story sounds like their story. And that's what I think was the genesis of it. But then the, my insecurity came in. It's like, ah, nobody's really going to care. Who would want to read it? Um, you know, it's no big deal kind of thing. And um, But then my manager's like, man, you should. I said, ah, maybe not. It's not one of those things. And then as I started to think on it more, um, I thought, you know what? This might not be a bad idea. And it really is. Um, on the same platform with the show. It's about overcoming obstacles. Um, and that's what the book is about. Um, it's symbolic of, of just of that. On the show, you see guys going through personal, um, excuse me, physical obstacles. And the book talks about personal obstacles. Mm-hmm. And we all have them in our lives. You yeah. Know? yeah. How did you find the process? Because this was totally new for you. The process was extremely difficult. <laughs> you know, just even being open and honest about the process is, you know, here I am, you know, uh, first-generation Nigerian um, who grew up here in the United States. My parents came from Nigeria. Um, I grew up in a, in a predominantly black neighborhood in South Central Los Angeles uh, in the Crenshaw District. I, I wanted I wanted it to be representative of who I was, because this is going to be a legacy thing. And when I say legacy, meaning my kids will, if no one else reads this book, my kids will have this um, and to read and kind of get to know me from a different angle. Um, you know, something else that I thought about in the process I'm like, man, like I'm telling all these stories and I started thinking about my own life, like my mom. I genuinely did not know my mother. I, my mother, I lived with my whole life, both parents, but my mom never told stories about her life in Africa, um, what her childhood was like, um, what it was like when she came to America and the struggles she had and how people accepted her, maybe didn't accept her. Um, those stories, I will never know now in her passing. I just thought, man, like, I wish she could have left me something that I could read and go, oh, wow, this is why my mom was this way. Um, so, yeah, so I think about that, like, like, you know, even my kids are younger, but when they get older and have a better comprehension, they'll be able to go, oh, shoot, in context, I know why dad was this way or, you know. Um, 
so yeah yeah well that's one of the things that struck me reading this book is that especially for ninja warrior fans where yeah. i think we've seen like one very buoyant yeah. outgoing side of you yeah. this is a completely different <clears throat> side of you yeah. um it's deeply personal mm -hmm. was that a tough decision for you to make to go into some really personal stuff in this book it was because um i you know i, I didn't want anyone to it's this weird feeling of feeling judged, you know, um, because it's our own personal life, you know. When, so when you put it out there, you know, it's open for criticism. Like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you thought that or I can't believe you did that or how would you see it this way or um, or even my storytelling on uh, Casey Catanzaro and just how in the back of my mind I had to be honest. Like, I doubted her, but I'm sure a lot of other people doubt it, but they probably would never say it up front. And so um, I doubted and I was like, man, I know she came up to the booth and said she's going to crush it. But like, are you really like no other woman has done that? But I needed to be honest because that and the excitement that people saw came. The genesis of that was the fact that there was a seed of doubt that was planted in the doubt in the back of my head. And um, so and I, and I told her this when I saw her not too long ago at the WWE um, uh, WrestleMania. I said, you you forever changed my life because not only did you change the, the, the show, but you also change the way I commentate. Um, and I don't bring that same type of doubt in the back of my head and think, okay, I know this person's not gonna do well, this person's gonna do well, that person. I just let it, I just let it, whatever comes, just comes naturally. Right. Um, but, you know, then also too, you know, opening up on the other side, you know, talking about my mother's alcoholism. I struggle with that. It's like, oh man, my mother's deceased. Do I say something that could be come off disparaging to my mom? Um, but then I was like, man, there are other people who grew up with that. And I don't want to make a paint a picture of like, I had this perfect life because again, it's easy when you're in a public figure <clears throat> for people to see you in a perfect way or think, oh, you've got it all going on. I was like, no, I grew up with an alcoholic mother. Um, and to hear Zach Gallo's story is what kind of pushed me because he's telling his story to me about alcoholism. And I'm going in my mind, I'm like, I know. I'm like, oh, trust me, I know. And even, I didn't put this in the story, but even to this day, like, I'll have red wine, but by and large, you'll never see me drinking, I've never tasted beer, not tasted beer, I've tasted it, I've never <laughs> ingested beer, but I don't drink because of that, because I am, I am afraid of what, I mean, I don't think I'm gonna ever be an alcoholic, but I'm like, I don't wanna put myself in that position, so, I mean, alcohol is just not something that I, and I don't judge people who drink it, but just, I saw how it, destroyed my my mother i saw what the effects that it had on my family and it scared me and i look at we're seven of us uh, none of my siblings struggle with alcohol i mean i don't think i've ever been to an event where my siblings are we're all just casually drinking and you know whatever so but you know again from now time to time i'll have a glass of red wine or something like that but i just try to for the most part like keep that out of my life because i just it's scarred in my head about what it can do to a family um or just what it was like growing up with um you know, being the kid that was poor that people made fun of, or, you know, I look at the whole bully aspect now and just think about, man, like, I guess I was bullied based on the interpretation today. Then you just kind of, kind of fussed it, but right. I mean, it was, I mean, it was bad. I mean, bad African booty scratcher or kids wouldn't want to play with me just because I, literally, I mean, I can't tell you how many times, like, well, you're African. Like, I don't want to play with you. Or I can remember telling kids like, well, you're African too. Like we're the same color. Like, no, my mama from Mississippi, but I, where did she wasn't born? I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. she came from somewhere, but people didn't have that aspect, and so, um, or, or that perspective, and so it, it changed me. It changed me a lot. Like, um, I became, even though I'm vocal and I'm sociable, 
but personally, I don't. I keep a lot of my personal life mm-hmm. to myself because um, I just don't want to be. I'm sensitive, like, and I don't want to be, you know, trampled all over. Like, I'll never forget this. This isn't in the book, but when when I say we grew up poor, we grew up poor. We had no carpet in my house, like zero carpet. And I think that that's in the book. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure yet, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, zero carpet and drywall as if it's getting ready to be construction is getting on me so there's still just uh with the patches and you know whatever um and we lived like that for over a decade so those stories things like that kind of made me think about some of the kids like when i hear people being bullied that stuff i'm sensitive to that because i know what it's like to be on the other end of a joke where everybody's in on it or people are alienating you because you're different you know so uh, but again, people see me as a six six guy or a tall guy. I'm like, oh, that could have never happened to you. But like, it did, you know? Yeah. 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 Family's obviously very important to yeah. you. Did you discuss any of this book with them beforehand? You give a lot of credit to your wife, Crystal, in the book yeah. for holding down the fort as yeah. things were going through yeah. the years. Um, was Did you talk to her and the kids about the things that would be in the book? Um, a little bit. Yeah. Um, I didn't, um, I didn't want too much. I didn't want too much influence mm-hmm. because... I felt like that could have changed the dynamics. There are certain things with the kids or my siblings and stuff like that. I did ask my siblings, mm-hmm. say, hey, what do you guys think about me talking about mom being an alcoholic? Um, and none of them really had a problem with that. Because especially when it's not involving me personally mm-hmm. um, or is in, you know involving more than just me, that I wanted to make sure I didn't paint a picture that was going to be unfavorable. The world's just nasty and people, and then they just run with it. In his book, which I definitely recommend you read, Akbar shares stories from his childhood, his career in the NFL, and of course, Ninja Warrior. One story reflects on what Akbar remembers as his uncomfortable first season of the show and how he struggled to adjust to the new format. In the process of writing the book, he actually picked up the phone and called the show's executive producer, Kent Weed, to get his opinion on the skills Akbar needed to develop in order to be successful. I was nervous um, because I didn't know. It, it, it sat with me for a long time. It was epic Nikki it was epic. I mean, it was failure at the highest level of failure and I thought like oh man I like I've got this imposter complex to where I'm thinking how the hell did I accelerate to this position so fast and now I can't do it um, but I wanted to know because it was bugging me as I wrote it I mean I didn't call Kent till the end and it wasn't until the end where he gave me that where I said I gotta go back I said we gotta go back and we absolutely have to put this in the book because I didn't want to paint an unfair picture because again we were talking about perspective from my perspective I thought well because I'm black I sound different I speak different like there's certain things I do like I add for example one of my uh, hiccups that I realized that I do is I'll pluralize things that need to be singularized or I'll singularize things that needs to be plural I don't know Mm -hmm. if it's just growing up with parents that spoke broken English but it's something I have to be more conscious of but there were things like that would show up. Um, and so I just thought I was being picked up, picked on. And I was like, oh shoot, well the show's tradition just had white hosts. And so here I come yeah. in and whatever, and they're trying to control me. But I was like, is that just my angle? Is that just only from my insecurity? Cause I know I had of them. I was like, well, maybe my insecurity is making me see it from a different perspective. I was like, F it, I'm just gonna call Ken. And I just kind of said, hey, man, you had a second? He was like, yeah. I said, hey, so I'm writing this book, but I can't finish this story until I know your side of it. And he go, oh, sure, yeah. He said, actually, caught me at a good time. And he just went into it, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And it was, it was such an eye-opener. Like, you can really see something. If, you're, you know, if your mind is stuck on one thing, it can change the whole dynamic. And when Kent got in and he just told me about it, he said, I need you to be honest. Because football 
and TV are two different worlds. Football, they'll tell you your crap stinks. In Hollywood, everyone's like, oh, you know, you, great job, good show, good show. And no one ever tells you until the next year where somebody goes, uh, man, you're so much better than you were last year. What, what does that mean? You, yeah. you, you told me you told me like a hundred times I had great shows. Like, so I don't get what you mean. Um, but uh, so that was a difficult conversation. And um, you know, going back to that first night, it was it was that first night in the first year were some. I until this day, God is not witness. If I see season five come on, I won't watch it. Aww. It's so I think the kids say cringy. <laughs> it is so cringy for me. I'm going, oh my gosh, because and when I was at the gym, I mean, and I put that in there. I remember uh, one of. Um, uh, uh, the guys I went to school with was, I was a girl actually, but I said guy, but, what is, but I've heard it from too many angles. It was like, man, I can't tell the difference between you and Matt. You sound like a white guy. And in the black community, that is like, I mean, a dagger in the heart. I mean, just, it was like, they might as well call me Uncle Tom, Oreo, whatever it is. And it was just, it was just like, I mean, heart wrenching. I'm like, gosh, I started going back. And I was like, because again, am I good enough? Was I thinking, or those VO sessions, those VO sessions were brutal. I mean, every little, like, I'll say something like that. Like, I speak fast, I speak with excitement. Um, so I was like, oh man, that guy's good. No, no, that, like, I mean, enunciate everything. And so I would be like going, and my sessions would be four hours. Now I do them in like an hour and a half, you know, but they would be four hours long of just correction. And I'm just, just like, I mean, you don't know what it's like to like be in a situation where you're just I mean drilled for everything I'm like I can't speak like and I just took it on in fact at one point one of the producers uh, not the ones who were on the show it was another set of producers was like yeah I think you might be dyslexic I go gosh I might be dyslexic I I better go get tested I might be dyslexic and I believed it I believe like something's wrong with it but nowhere in my educational process had I ever had like uh you know, I know I had the learning disability with the, you know, processing disorder, but I thought, maybe I have processing disorder and dyslexia. I mean, man, I'm effed up. Like, I can't do this. And um, so it made me overthink everything. So as we were shooting and we were filming, I didn't, I didn't trust myself. And it wasn't until Patrick McManus came on and he goes, hey, look. And, he, and that's why I call him coach. If you ever seen him, I call him coach because he reminds me of a coach. But he came and said, hey, look, I watched your, some of your... Um, your um, your games that you used to do for college football. He goes, I want you to be like that guy, man. Just be relaxed, man. Just be you, be you. And so my first year, the first year that I started working with him, I forgot what year he came in, but I would say certain things and I was still uncomfortable. And he goes, no, nah, no, nah, man, that's not how you talk, man. He'd get in my ear, that's not how you talk, man. Come on, like, come on, like, come on, man. Be like, keep it real kind of thing. Yeah. And then I just start testing in the water and I throw in some slang here or say some stuff there. I'm like, damn, nobody's saying nothing else. Dang! You know, just stuff. <laughs> and it was like, I was like, damn, nobody's saying nothing. And it just kept growing and growing. Like, oh, okay, shoot. So by the maybe year two with Patrick, I just go, shoot, I'm just going to be me. Like, whatever. And then to Kent's point, you can fix a lot of stuff in post. So if I misspoke or, you know, I mispronounced something or I didn't, you know, now like, we can just go back and, and pick that up. And I was like, oh, cool. But, uh, yeah, it was just, um, I'll never forget that first night. I maybe took an hour to do our pickup. Maybe more. It might have been an hour and a half. Um, I'll still never forget. They literally handed me the script. I, I don't know how to memorize stuff, you know. And I couldn't memorize it. Then they literally tried to feed it into it. At that time, we had, we, we had the little block things. Now, at first, they had that little invisible thing they were sticking in their ear. And I remember uh, the lady was trying to feed every word to me and this is going to be 
an exciting night. And I was just like, I can't do that. Like, and the whole time, I know Matt, and thinking back now, he had to have been pissed. He had to have been pissed. <laughs> but he was so kind to me because whenever I would make a mistake, he would go, I think you mean, I think you, and I still remember because he'd go, I think you mean, no, I didn't mean that. I, didn't, I messed it up. <laughs> you know, I think back to it now, I'm like, no, I messed it up. And I just remember one time where he go, but he never let it out on me. He never let it out. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, so I have so much respect. So I listen a lot to like, you know, little stuff because Matt's got a mind that works with TV and he's always constantly, we should do this, we should do that. And so I picked up and learned a lot just yeah. passively from listening to Matt. But that patience that he showed me that first year, I'm sure most people are like, man, get this dude the F out of here, man. Like, get him out, okay? But he never did that to me. Um, so I was, yeah, I was always helpful. He said, and he, I remember him coming to my church like, what can I do to help you out? Like, is there anything I can do? I was like, I really don't know what I, I don't know what I don't know, you know? Yeah. Um, or the, the teleprompter one was bad because it was my idea um, to bring out the teleprompter. I'd seen them do it at the NFL Network. People were like, how hard could it be? And then reading out loud, oh my God. And I think maybe it's because of me, they don't do it out loud anymore. <laughs> but my first year, it was open mic to everyone. Really? Oh, can you imagine? It was amplified. It was amplified. And I can remember the people heckling like, come on, it's not that hard. It says this. The little guys down right below our mind. I'm like, and I'm like, oh my goodness. And then I just remember Kent going, let's just get to the runs. And you could hear it in his voice. Let's just get to the runs. You know, by this time we'd already wasted that first, you know, top of the line. I'm like, all right. And then, you know, I was still scared inside and I don't know what to say, how to do it. But then I had a little bit of light in that, in that area. And so, um, they go, oh, okay, maybe we can do that part, you know, maybe we just get them to do that, and um, and then, yeah, so anyway, I just, and then that carried out throughout the whole year, man, that first yeah. year, I just will not watch, maybe when I'm older, I'll go back and watch season five and see how bad it is, but it was the most cringiest, in fact, I wish they would pull it off TV, <laughs> when I see re-airs, like, can they just start, oh yeah, it's season seven, <laughs> can they just start it, because season seven is when I kind of started catching my wing, um, and uh, yeah, but season five and six is like, uh, you know. Does it feel like second nature now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels yeah. like yeah, it feels like second nature. In fact, the pressure now is, how do I elevate my game? Mm -hmm. How do I, how do I add stuff to my commentary um, that brings, you know, more excitement, bring the fans closer to the show? Um, how do I give them a little bit more inside? Um, how do I give them my excitement um, and so I've done different things. Like for, for one thing, uh, I used to overanalyze the obstacles. Like before the city, I would study them and try to think about angles and this, and I would go talk to the ninjas. And now I don't see it until the night before. So they'll send it to me. And I'll just take a brief look in places or something like ridiculous that I need to know about. But I'll just look, but I won't spend any real time. And when I get there and I see it in person, like, I know they're probably thinking, like, damn, do you read the notes that we sent you? Yeah. No, not really. Because then I'm just as amazed, and I'm meeting yeah. the ninjas where they are. When they're seeing it for the first time, I'm like, damn, how do you do this? Like, I don't want to necessarily be the expert. I want to be the guy, like, I'm like, okay, because if I come and present it, like, I know how this works, then I don't think it comes off on TV the same way. But right. when I'm amazed, because that's the feeling I get when I walk, I'm like, who designed this? What is this called again? <laughs> like, that's what I'm, so that the first day, I'm like, what is this called again? I don't think anyone's gonna, like in my mind, I'm like, no one's getting past this. Like, this is impossible. And then when I get up there, then it's just like, all right, let it go. And like, yeah. Right. Yeah. So you watch about 100 ninjas a night go through there. Yep. How, 
how do these stories stick out in your mind? Like, you've selected some people to be in the book. How yeah. did those people stand out to you? Um, Brian Arnold, I rem- I'll never forget. I grew up in a Nigerian household where work ethic is everything. And you work, work, work. You've got to work two or three, four or five jobs. You do it, you know. Um, and um, I'll never forget just the sacrifice of when he first quit his job to dedicate it to Ninja. I go, that's really, like, that's dedication. I don't think, for at least for me, that's dedication on another level that it's not like, you know, you're, you know, you're well off, you know what I mean? But to take, make that decision that I'm dedicating myself to this sport, to this show, and I'm going to put everything else in the back burner, it, it kind of, it, it resonated with me because inside, I guess I have that same spirit, you know, like you do whatever you can to make sure you accomplish the goal. And for you to be that focused and that committed, um, at that time, I hadn't really heard of anybody that, um, or at least with his profile at the time, um, I hadn't heard of anyone really taking that kind of, it's like, oh, here's the lawyer or the dad, or here's the mom and the thing, and they're juggling. But he's like, no, I'm all in. And I like that all in. I think of my high school football coach, he used to say, go hard or go home. Um, and he used to always say that. And I was like, yeah, well, why, why do something if you're not going to commit, if you're not going to be all in on it? Um, so that, that, that inspired me. Um, Casey inspired me for all the reasons I mentioned before. Um, Allison Felix is one that uh, inspired me because, you know, when you see Allison, you get to know she's, I mean, beautiful, sweet person. You just think that success always followed her. But, like, even just the nickname Chicken Legs um, that people in, the people would tease her about. I'm like, and now she's one of the most decorated um, female Olympians in, in the history. And, um, you know, it's those stories where people doubt you and then all of a sudden you come up on top. Um, that inspired me. My former teammate, guys, uh, Nandi Asamoah, uh, people doubted him. And he's a first runner. Like, when expectations are high, you know, there's a difference. Like, I was on the other end where the expectations were low. Mm-hmm. Expe- I never realized, man, when expectations are high, that's a lot of pressure. And most people don't see it that way. And I can see why people will try to move away from attaining that type of success and I've seen it in you know the lives of some of my family members where I remember one of my family members told me um, he goes I don't want to take this new position that he was getting um, uh, promoted because it was too much responsibility I go what too much responsibility and it stuck with me forever and I go wow like that's being afraid of success it's like it's too much it's too much uh, responsibility I don't want it I'm like like, but it's going to be better pay. It's going to be, you know, it's going to take your, your your life to another level. And so it really messed me up when I saw that as a kid. And I go, geez, like, I don't want, I don't want to be that person. Like, I want to be able to rise to the occasion. So, um, so those stories really stuck out. And it took me a while to come to that because there's so many different right. ninjas that have impacted me. Um, Zach Gowan, um, probably, I'll, I'll say his name all the time till the day I die, um, because I just, I remember it was so symbolic for him to rip that thing off mm-hmm. and throw it off. Like, that is there to assist you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you're missing a limb. But yet, you decide that I don't need it. I can do it with my, my one leg, um, which is different than, like, a competitor like AT3. And no disrespect to yeah. AT3, but he did that with one leg. And I'm like, it, it's stuck. I mean, he hasn't been around since, but it's stuck in my head. I was yeah. just like, gosh, like, that's a powerful. It was a... Him throwing it off to the side was the one that was powerful to me. And I go, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget it. Yeah. So if you had to kind of sum it up 
for someone who was considering the book. Yeah. What do you want them to get out of this? Yeah. Um, I want people to get out of this book um, that we all have obstacles in our life that we have to overcome. And the choice that you make to overcome these obstacles um, will impact the rest of your life. Um, and running away from an obstacle in your life isn't, um, isn't really an option. Um, I think every story that I tell in this book talks about pushing through um, that, that pressure, that threshold. And on the other side, I think everyone has experienced something great. Um, for Zach Gowan, being able to, uh, to be sober um, because he had all these other things that was going on with him. Um, or for Allison Felix, I think her story tells, tells it all. Or, you know, my buddy Namdi Asimov um, and how he, you know, started from up top being considered a bust and then turning around but continue to push it. I mean, you remember the story when Rob Ryan came to him uh, as our defensive coordinator and said, don't listen to the other coach. And I'm like, but what if he didn't push it, you know, push past it and he just stayed there? Maybe he's never known. Maybe he really is a bust. And so we have people in our lives that will try to put us or contain us in a box. Um, this book is to help you break through. Um, and I said everyone can be a ninja, not because everyone can necessarily be a ninja warrior on the show. Maybe you can. I mean, if you try it, if you, if you actually take that road. But the idea is that the ninjas on the show, they embody one thing. They overcome obstacles. And that's what I want people in their life is to overcome the obstacles in their life. Um, the show is symbolic. Um, uh, or the book is symbolic of the show in that it just shows people going through these different obstacles and what I love about the show is that in the qualifying round you have six obstacles and you hit a buzzer and just when you think I've hit the buzzer guess what you got to come back to the finals and do it for 10 obstacles I mean it gets bigger and that's how it is because in our own life we think oh I just got through this <sighs> I'm free no guess what it just got bigger but that same lesson that you learned in the first six you take it to the first 10 and then guess what if you're lucky enough to hit the buzzer there it only gets bigger. Now you go to Las Vegas and there are 23, 24 obstacles that you have to overcome and it gets bigger. I mean, uh, isn't that life, you know? I mean, I think of leaving South Central Los Angeles to getting a college degree, to making it to the NFL and all the problems and obstacles that came with those things um, were, were, were just getting bigger.